Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. This is your host, Paul Arnold. I'm joined by my co-host, Ernest Watts. And Ernest, have you ever searched for our podcast on the internet or YouTube? Yes. I Actually, when I'm uh, there are several stretches where I work. There are nine counties I work, and there are some stretches where, like, deep swamps called the green swamp and there's no houses for in north carolina by the way folks. in north carolina sorry folks where there's no houses there's nothing for 40 miles it's just a road through a swamp and i listen to the podcast as i go through the swamp there, there's some uh, the area i work in is not really the roads aren't straight so you gotta go here to go there to go there so i listen to the podcast then Nice. I sit there. I argue with that Watts guy. He gets on my nerve. <laughs> he has to talk all the time. Yeah. So yeah. So sometimes I um, put different uh, descriptions of, of each podcast, and I usually start out with your name, and then the next person to name them my name, or sometimes I'll rotate the description. And occasionally I've put in a very, I think, humorous description to see if anybody's paying attention. So go back and take a look at some of them. You might be a little bit surprised. But folks, you have tuned in. You have downloaded this podcast to a very special podcast dedicated to Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. Hey, this whole thing has taken our country by storm, and some people would say it came at the absolute best time. We've talked about it a little each of the last couple podcasts. I mean, we've given maybe 10 minutes here, 5 minutes here, and then the other day, Ernest was talking about meeting Michael Jordan, and I went, whoa, whoa, wait a second. And Ernest uh, has spent many years in North Carolina, has watched so much of Michael Jordan, and so this podcast is going to be about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Ernest is going to tell us five stories, his top five stories of Michael Jordan, some that you may have never heard about, some you may have heard about but with a new twist, and definitely you're going to hear about how Ernest met Michael Jordan. Um, I have not met anybody that famous unless you count Jimmy Carter <laughs> and shook his hand. Um, but uh, Ernest, the floor is yours. Tell us, what story do you want to start with about Michael Jordan? Well, here's the first one. This was my first uh, crossing over, so to speak. Back in 81, there was a guy I worked with in the same area. We didn't work under the same boss. Called His name was Joe Morris, not the old running back from the Giants. And uh, we got up some money, and we, did, we were big Carolina fans, okay? It was 1981. Carolina had lost the NCAA championship game against Indiana. It was the They played the same night that President Reagan was shot because they were talking about Canceling the game at one time, and they went ahead with the game, and Isaiah Thomas just destroyed Carolina. And at that time, Dean Smith had not won a national championship, and we were going like, we're so close. Four starters were returning, and that was uh, uh, Sam Perkins, James Worthy, Matt Doherty, and Jimmy Black. And uh, Al Wood was the only one graduating, but he was the leading scorer. So we got some money together, and we found out the McDonald's All-Star Game was going to be at Capitol Center which is in Landover, Maryland. And Carolina had three recruits playing. So we thought we'd get a ch chance to see these three recruits before they went to Carolina. So we packed up the car, drove maybe eight hours, drove to the game, drove back, did not spend the night. Tickets were five bucks, relatively cheap. How old were you here then? Oh, my gracious. 81, I was 26, 26. Okay. Yeah, 26, 26, 25. 
So this was uh, spring of 81. This is after Carolina lost the Indiana game. And we went to the game. We saw the three recruits. And coming back, uh, we were talking amongst ourselves, and we were saying, man, you know, we knew about Buzz Peterson. Buzz Peterson was the number one recruit in North Carolina. He was considered one of the best in the nation. Shooter, six foot seven, just a gunner. But there was a little point guard from Greensboro called Linwood Robinson. He was quick, super quick. And, you know, we'd seen Isaiah Thomas pretty much destroy Carolina. So we wanted a quick point guard. And people had asked about the third guy, this this Mike Jordan guy. And I'd go like, this shows why I'm not an NBA scout. I said, he's all right. I mean, you know, to me, he's the third best recruit Carolina's bringing in. So, you know, he came in his freshman year. He was Mike Jordan, not Michael Jordan, but Mike Jordan. Went to a couple games, and I scored tickets to the NCAA tournament. Back then, it was uh, it was 32-game tournament, and so the higher seeds got a bye. So we saw Carolina play James Madison. This is Michael Jordan's first NCAA playoff game. And James Madison slows the game down. There's no shot clock. There's no three-point. They basically played keep away. Got a lead on Carolina. Carolina was down by seven points, about five minutes to go. So the whole legend of Michael Jordan would have all changed. James Worthy makes three steals. Carolina wins 52 to 50. And they get to the NCAA game, championship game, New Orleans. They beat Elijah Wan and fly Slamma Jamma with the Houston. They face Georgetown. Georgetown, uh, again, John Thompson was Dean Smith's assistant when he took the American team to the Olympic gold in Montreal in 1976, a team that three-fourths of them were ACC players. But again, Dean Smith never won the big one, never won the big one. And it gets down to the end, excuse me, and they set up a play, and Dean Smith looks at Michael Jordan and says, Michael, when the ball comes to you, hit it. And that's where the legend starts. He was not that highly recruited. Carolina knew how good he was, but they kind of tried to keep him under wraps. Kind of the last moment, NC State and Duke started recruiting him. By that time, he had already decided to play for Carolina. Now, interesting story is Carolina then wore Converse's. Converse was a shoe team, a shoe company that was based in North Carolina in Robinson County in that respect. But he loved Adidas. And if you've watched The Last Dance, you know that when he left Carolina, he wanted to sign with Adidas. But his mother, who looks amazingly still young, talked him into signing the contract with Nike. Shoe deals back then didn't exist. You got a little bit of money and you got free shoes. He, Michael Jordan reinvented the shoe industry altogether. Mm-hmm. Well, now, go ahead. So. I graduated from high school in 1980, and I remember in high school, Adidas was really a top brand, and people loved Adidas and Reebok. And Nike was there, but they were not dominant like they are now or like they were. And Michael Jordan made that huge difference and outpaced everybody because of Nike. But um, Michael Jordan, playing in that final against Georgetown, didn't he get the steal at the end, or was he? he's the one who hit the no. shot? He hit the shot. Uh, 
they were winning by one point. Uh, Georgetown had a chance to win it. And um, Michael Jackson, not the one who's a singer, but played for Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, you got to remember the Carolina uniforms and the Georgetown uniforms were very, very similar. It's kind of a gray color, but uh, Carolina was wearing white and the white uniforms look a lot like Georgetown. Well, Brown comes down, dribbles the ball down, mm-hmm. and Worthy overplays the pass, goes past the guy that Brown was supposed to pass it to, goes too far, falls for the fake. And for some reason, Brown turns around and passes it right to Worthy. It's like out of the side of his eye, he saw a jersey very similar to Georgetown, right. thought it was his teammate. Worthy took the ball, tried to dribble the clock out. It was fouled with two seconds to go, missed both free throws, and Georgetown didn't get a chance to win that game. So they win the championship. Now, Michael Jordan stayed three years at UNC. They lost to Georgetown uh, in the second round in his sophomore year, his junior year. Uh, what's the guy who's still made a career out of the one game he played in Indiana? I've forgotten the name. He's a radio uh, broadcaster now. Clark Ka- Kellogg? No, 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 not Kellogg. It's a, a white guy. I'll remember it after a while. But he, they, basically, they played a diamond and one, which is a mixture of a zone and a man-to-man defense, and they shut Michael Jordan down, his worst game, against Indiana. And then uh, Dean told him, because Michael wanted to come back his senior year, and Dean said, no, you, you got to go now. This is your highest value. Now, there was one, when he, when he would scrimmage at Carolina, there was one player, one guy he would not scrimmage against that he feared. The only player he feared in his life, scrimmaging either one-on-one as a team, he didn't want to play him if this guy was on the other team. Do you know who that was? I have no idea. This comes from Buzz Peterson, who actually is player personnel chief for the Hornets because Michael likes to employ all of his former teammates and all the family members. The only guy that intimidated him on the basketball court was LT, Lawrence Taylor. (laughs) The football player. Yes. Well, you know, LT was amazingly quick and could jump also. He was an amazing athlete and and just so physical. I think he might have been afraid of LT stumbling and breaking his ankle or something. Well, LT was just crazy all the time. So, yeah, that's that was pretty much it. But uh, and Dean Smith talked him into uh, going pro in that respect. So he went pro on a Saturday morning. And at that time, Carolina seniors and a lot of ACC seniors would do a barnstorming tour after their eligibility was over. It was a way of making some pocket money. This was, you got to remember, this was before they could sign shoe contracts or agents could get them large amount of money. And players weren't paid that much. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you had uh, Bird and, and Magic and the NBA was doing better, when Michael Jordan came out, the finals for the uh, NBA were still showed on tape delay on CBS. You had to wait till 1130 at night to watch Magic and Bird. I mean, the NBA was, the stands were still half empty. It wasn't what you see today. Hard for people to believe, but that was the state of the NBA. So players would barnstorm. So he he, uh, renounced his eligibility on a Saturday, and they had already scheduled here in Richmond County a game Tuesday night, ACC 
barnstorming tour and they play local guys, guys who played the high school, old, oh. you know, whoever would walk out. Wait, okay? Wow, that would be not a good day to play Michael so, Jordan on a high school well, basketball court. We didn't know if he was going to play. You know, we, we knew some of the other players would be there. Sam Perkins was going to play. His eligibility was up. And uh, so up until Tuesday night, you know, I bought my ticket. and you, They split it. Half the money goes to a boosters club for the high school. The rest of the money goes to the ACC players. So we show up, and there was no official word. I'd called the radio station. This guy here named Jimmy Smith who was on the radio station forever. And I said, Jimmy, do you, do you know, is he going to show up? He did not know. So we showed up early for the game. Now, at the same time, I was teaching at the community college. And one of my students, uh, uh, her brother, was named Mike Jordan. That was his real name. Mm -hmm. So Michael comes out late. Okay, they're warming up. So I'm sitting with my student. I'm sitting with Joe Morris. I'm sitting with uh, her brother, Mike Jordan. So I, I said, come on, let's, let's, let's let Mike Jordan meet Mike Jordan. So we walked down. It was the uh, basket where the gym entrance opened up. And we walked over and I called over him and said, Michael Jordan, you want to meet Michael Jordan? And he came over and he said, no way. So little white Mike Jordan pulled out his driver's license <laughs> and showed it to him. And he was blown away. And he shook hands with us. Uh, and then the game started. And we sat at midcourt, right on the court. And he had done a double pump dunk. And as he came back, we all reached out and he high-fived us. Nice. I remember, I remember Joe saying, I'll never wash my hands again. <laughs> the sweat was dripping from our hands and everything. Look at you, Ernest, having the, the balls to yell out to him, say, hey, Michael Jordan. Well, the gym was, uh, I used to, here's, here's a little background. I've already, we're in football country where I live at, Richmond County, the high school football team could scrimmage and the stands would be full. And we've had good athletes. They've won, went to two state championships, but we could never fill the gym. And the gym with Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, uh, all these ACC all-stars was half full. <laughs> and I said, if we can't fill this gym with Michael Jordan, there's no way anyone will ever pay attention to basketball in Richmond County, which is true. And this is what happened. So there weren't that many people there. It was easy to do. You can remember he was still Mike Jordan. And and people today don't don't realize if you weren't alive at that time, he wasn't the phenomenon. I mean, guards back then, the, the big thing was centers. You right. wanted an Elijah one. You wanted a, a Jabbar. You wanted someone Which a Lance to who was the number one pick of that year. It wasn't Jordan. It's was Elijah one. No. And, and and even today, Jordan has said that. I thought. What about uh, Sam Bowie? He was the second pick. See, Jordan was the third. Third pick. pick. That's right. Okay, Bowie went to. That's always been and and the way the uh, the ownership of Portland already stated like well. Uh, we, we didn't pick Jordan because we had Clyde Drexler and he's like Michael Jordan, which incensed Michael Jordan. <laughs> and when they played Portland uh, for their second championship, he just thrived on that. How dare you compare me to Clyde Drexler to that extent? So you had two guys from, from university of Houston picked before him. And you know who the fourth pick was? I don't. And that draft Charles Barkley. Mm. Just think of that. 
think of four Hall of Fame. The Brown Mound of Rebound. And he was then. I mean, he was he was 320-310. He was much larger back then. But uh, and to the extent that well, Rothborn was the GM of Chicago. And people just blistered him. You know, they said, well, you need to go big. You need to get a big guy. Now, Bowie, got to remember, Sam Bowie averaged 20 points at Kentucky. But he was fragile. He had foot problems. Now, the ironic part was uh, Portland had gone through this big divorce with Bill Walton. And Bill Walton wound up suing the Portland Trailblazers because of the medical advice he got. Because he had some foot problems, uh, the bones in his foot, then for a long, he went to the San Diego Clippers and it was like getting lost for five years, but he wound up suing and players didn't sue teams back then. So they'd already gone through one center. It was fragile. They pick another center that is fragile and Bowie and Bowie had kind of like, if you remember, he had a strange body build. He was like a tree. He was very, he had no shoulders. He had no upper body, but he had these thick, thick legs he wasn't a jumper. He, I mean, he wasn't a leaper. He wasn't a shot blocker. He just had a nice little 10-foot, 12-foot turnaround jump shot. But Rod Thorne got blistered. A lot of people thought that, that he made a mistake drafting Jordan because guards didn't lead you to championships. You look back before that, and all championships were based on having centers. So do you, Even, have, a, you, know, do you have a story about Jordan's uh, competitiveness that people may not know? Because... You know, Last Dance completely shows that he kept on finding ways to be motivated. I think people compared him to Brady or Brady to Michael Jordan that same way. Keep on trying to find the edge or find ways to dislike your enemy. Um, I was watching an old NFL show and Deacon Jones, the great uh, lineman for the Los Angeles Rams, said the same thing years ago. You had to find an edge. Can you tell? Think of a, one of your favorite stories about Michael finding the edge and using it. There's so many. I mean, he would invent things. Slightest little. The Isaiah Thomas. The origin of that goes back to his first All Star game. Because basically, as as and whether or not it truly happened, people don't know. But the first All Star game he played in was in Indianapolis. It was the old uh, RCA Dome. So it was like 80,000 people and everything. And according to Michael Jordan, and, and Magic kind of concludes this really did happen, Isaiah doesn't really uh, fess up to it that much, was they froze him out. Well, you go back a little bit before that. Isaiah was from Chicago and went to high school right. there. And so then he went to play for the Pistons, but he always felt like he should have been Chicago's favorite son. And along comes Michael Jordan and he, Michael Jordan becomes Chicago's favorite basketball son. And I think Isaiah always had a chip on his shoulder about that. Is that correct? Well, he also didn't. The, Michael Jordan's explanation was he he thought that Isaiah and Magic did not feel like he had earned his due to get that respect. Because you remember when he came in, it was immediate. I mean, no, he wasn't the Michael Jordan we know today. And it was a surprising pick. And he was so successful that they pretty much refused to pass him the ball in the second half. He had a pretty good first half. But in the All-Star game, they pretty much froze him out. And that's the origin of his beef with, with Isaiah. Now, whether Isaiah felt like he didn't get the love because being from the Chicago area, but, you know, the Pistons and 
the Bulls had a rivalry right before that. Back That's in the true. 70s, you know, when, when Jerry Sloan and Norm Van Leer and you had Kelly Trapuca with the Pistons, they'd meet the playoffs and there'd be war. I mean, it was physical. Bob Lanier. So there always was a rivalry between Detroit, between the Pistons and the Bulls. So that, that predates Isaiah and, and Magic. So and going against Jordan, but Jordan to this day still remembers that being froze at an all-star game. Now the questions come up about whether or not he kept him off of the, the Olympic team and Rod Thorne, who picked that team was part of the team that the part of the group that selected it was Rod Thorne. It was Chuck Daly and several others. And you got to remember Chuck Daly was Isaiah's coach. If Chuck Daly had put his foot down and said, I need Isaiah on the dream team. He would have been there. So that that can't that, that kind of gets blurred out in the history in that respect. And I'm sure Chuck Daly had to go back and coach him after the dream team. So he didn't want it to be known that well. Right. I have another theory for um or it's not a new theory to me why Michael Jordan always has that edge. He is not the oldest son in his family. He has two older brothers, correct? Yeah, but see Larry, everybody was says that Larry was the better athlete. Now, Larry only grew up to be five foot nine. And see, when he came back from his retirement, the first retirement, the 45 he wore was, that was Larry's number at, uh, at, at uh, Haney High, which is where they played basketball. That's what Michael Jordan wore 23 because that he thought he was half the player of his brother. So that now, leads to my point because I have two older brothers and my brother scott who's four years older than i am would never cut me a break when we would play any type of sports any type of game he would never cut me any slack whatsoever and if he could beat me he would and once in a while he would play with me he would say oh i'm up by a lot i'll let you get close and that would infuriate me and get my juices going to the point where uh, even when we were grown men and I was at a seminary learning how to be a minister and he came to visit me, we had a fight on the basketball court uh, because he called a foul on me. I mean, what I'm saying is that type of competitiveness that you grow up young and trying to always beat your older brother, I think sort of fuels the competitive juices that uh, Michael had for the rest of his life. Well, and his dad fed a lot of that that uh, competitiveness. I mean, he was, and now today parents are not supposed to do that, not pit kids against each other for competitive things. And that was a big drive towards that. And, and, you know, his brother did play. There was a league back in the eighties called the WBL, which was a six foot four under league. And his brother played that for a while. Now he employs his brother. He is uh, one of the vice presidents of the Charlotte Hornets to this day. But, you know, Michael's good with that. I mean, he he employs, you'd be surprised how many ex-Bulls or scouts for the Hornets right now. But he would eviscerate Rodney McRae, who was a decent player, came was on the championship team from Louisville. Michael Jordan would bet against him in practice, one-on-one. You know, if, you know, put money up for, and he just destroyed McRae to the point that I remember uh, Phil Jackson saying McCray couldn't even shoot afterwards. He lost his, he was so intimidated that he forgot how to shoot a jump shot. And mm-hmm. it pretty much destroyed his career. But Michael Jordan could compartmentalize and be that competitive. And then after the game, it was, it was, you know, Bugsy Bogues, 
who he brought in as one of his co-stars for Space Jam, mm -hmm. he would intimidate Muggsy to the extent that Muggsy could not shoot a jump shot against him. Now, Michael would use politically incorrect language about him, would call him a midget, and you know, emphasize a few words that are not PG-13, but he could intimidate him on the court but then bring him across beyond, you know, on, on Space Jam as one of his co-stars. So he, he'd be able to switch that. I think that's the one thing is he could switch in that competitiveness off and on to mm -hmm. the extent. But it's, it's I, again, yeah. I mean, it's just intimidating. You look at teammates that if they could not deal with it to a certain extent, it, it destroyed. It destroyed Rodney McRae, it destroyed Stacey King to a certain extent. Now, other guys approached it differently. Scotty Burrell, who uh, actually was drafted by the Hornets, and you see him in Last uh, Dance, Scotty would just like be passive and let it roll off the insults, the demeaning comments. But, you know, he knew that was his own pathway to, to get a draft pick, get to the, the finals and win a championship. So it's, it's, you know, other guys, Scott, John Paxton, Steve Kerr, they would stand up for themselves. Steve Kerr got into a fist fight. And afterwards, Michael Jordan called him up after, you know, after he punched him in the face and apologized. And to this day, Kerr holds no uh, ill will against it. But then, you know, remember, Steve Kerr is a very special person. Here's a guy that lost his father who was killed by um, terrorists. His dad was the president of uh, Lebanon University, Lebanon American University, and he was taken hostage and tortured and killed while he was uh, at, at Arizona. And other teams' fans would chant, where's dad, where's dad? Mm. So Steve Kerr had a, a very, as a young man, had that tough exterior. And playing around Jordan, you had to get that tough. Scotty Williams, who came from Carolina, when he played with Michael Jordan, he was his he was his punching bag, not literally, but verbally. But it spurred him to to win two in champ two championship ranks. That extent, it was an all encompassing drive, and it's interesting that we like our heroes to have this humbleness and and. But but you can't have that humbleness and have that physical drive to go beyond what your your abilities can do. Well, sports is so much about being the top dog. It is about athletic superiority. It's also about mental superiority uh, and discipline. And I was always interested to see how like Michael Jordan played against Larry Bird because early on in Michael Jordan's career, he tried to score enough points to beat the other team, and it wasn't enough until he had the other players around him to compliment him before he could overcome uh, the Celtics and the Pistons and the Lakers and things like that. So between Magic, Larry Bird, and let's say uh, somebody else uh, who we talk smack with, who do you think he talked the most smack with, Michael Jordan and who? Who he talked the most smack? I, I know he – Bird was good at it. Bird was it had it depends on the type of trash you talk. Bird had this incisive cutting type of sarcastic way. Michael Jordan just told you what he was going to do and did it. 
I mean, the all-time famous is, is if you, and when people would try to guard him, he would say, if you reach, I'll teach. In other words, if somebody tried to reach in and take the ball when mm-hmm. he was dribbling in front of him, he would just go to the other side and blow past them. His was more of, this is what I'm going to do, and you can't stop me. You know, Barkley was more uh, humorous and try to get you to laugh. Jordan's was a type to get you off guard. It was it was the intimidation factor. Bird was just so sarcastic. And again, people just didn't take him seriously because physically, uh, particularly at that point when, when Jordan started playing him, Bird was starting to break down a little bit. Magic didn't talk that much because Magic wanted to be everybody's buddy. You know, and he had a rift with, with Isaiah later, particularly when he was diagnosed HIV. He people were telling him that behind his back, Isaiah was saying things about how he contracted the disease. So there was a 10 year period when Isaiah and, and magic didn't talk to each other. So it's like any, any group, a close group, you're talking about 250 of the people that are the best at what they do. And they're all, the majority of them are all alpha personalities. They had to be the best. And the only way you measured that, back then was rings now it's measured by twitter followers and <laughs> how many how much money you're making so it's you've, more you've watched every one of the last dance so far is there one yes. story that sticks out that you didn't know before you watched it i knew most of them but the the one that i enjoyed hearing again was the practice for the dream team in which uh, magic started talking junk and magic's team magic and bird were on one team and I think uh, David Robinson and Michael Jordan were the others and other players in that respect. And Magic's team got an eight-point lead with like four minutes to go. And Magic started talking junk. And it, it became Michael's point of whether it was golf, cards, whatever. If he was losing, you were going to continue until he had an opportunity to even things up. So they started calling fouls. Magic started saying, we're not in Chicago, all right? We're not in Chicago. And from that point on, Michael takes all the shots and wins the scrimmage like by six points. So basically a 14-point turnaround in, in three minutes. <laughs> and uh, they're on the bus ride back, and everybody's angry and everybody's upset. So they're riding down, we're riding on the, the bus, it's quiet. And Magic speaks up and says, I just had to get him mad, didn't I? I just had to get him <laughs> angry. But Magic, I, again... You don't tug on Superman's cape. And if you don't know that song, look it up. It's a great song. It, and, you know, Michael doesn't have any grudges against Magic. Magic accepted that Michael was the best. Larry Bird did also. Larry Bird's... After, Mad- after Michael scored 63 points in that first playoff series against Boston, so there's God disguised as Michael Jordan. <laughs> they both accept Isaiah. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with, now realize Isaiah has been undersized his entire life. You, you know, people call it the little man syndrome. Mm-hmm. He's six foot one. Okay. He's always the smallest, except when he's playing Muggsy. <laughs> he's the smallest <laughs> guy in the court. And, that that drove him, and he had to prove himself. And I guess it was hard to come to your hometown and have your friends and family in the stands and consistently everybody's rooting for your rival on the other side. 
And maybe Isaiah also thought that, well, okay, um, bird's time, magic time, they're on the back end of their career. Now it's my time to be universally loved. And here comes this guy that did not have, remember Isaiah came off of a national championship. Right. As a freshman. Yep. Indiana. Number one pick. Okay. So he, and, and they win two NBA championships. He never was universally nationally loved like Bird or Magic or LeBron is now or anybody. There it never was. And the Dream Team kind of fed that a little bit more. Even on his own team, there were constantly fights on that team. And it was hard and difficult to say that he was even the best player on that team. Because to be honest with you, to me, Joe Dumars made those two Piston Championship teams the best team. That He was the factor. Mm-hmm. Just like you know Phil Jackson coming in and convincing Michael Jordan that you've got to be part of a team, we've got to play the triangle. Right. Joe Dumars is what made that Pistons team. And I think Isaiah felt like he never got love nationally. I don't think he got love locally. Okay. Let me do a little transition while you're talking about okay. love, since you brought it up. I haven't watched all the last dance, but my impression is so far they have not talked about Michael's personal life and he has had complete control of this project and Michael you know had this wonderful family life it seemed like too he had this girlfriend from college they get married she seems very professional and just a real stabilizer in his life they have kids they live in Chicago life is good and then that marriage dissolves and so my question to you is, um, do you have a feeling that it's just they just were incompatible, or do you? And what do you think his relationship with with kids are now? Uh, he employs all three of them, so that must be doing pretty well. <laughs> uh, when they two sons played at uh, Central Florida, and he went to a large amount of their games. Of course, he lives in Miami and in Charlotte now. I think there's a lot of things when he allowed this to be shown, he's allowed the raw parts to be shown. You know, the big question was the gambling and David Stern comes on there and people have always said he took the hiatus to play baseball because of the gambling. He would go down to Atlantic city. He would bet large amounts of monies with, uh, was a heroin dealer. It was one of the guys he played with that he bet with. The other guy was a, a big, was, uh, was in corporate malfeasance of some type in that respect. Um, when you look at the death of his father and every day I go to work, I go to the location where his dad was shot and killed and I drive fairly near where the body was found and people instantly linked after the death of his father. Cause his dad was gone for a good 10 days. They didn't find the body till 10 days after he was killed. Mm. And there were all kinds of rumors and people were basically, you could see the headlines of the newspaper was Michael Jordan's dad killed as a part of a gambling debt. Okay. Mm. So here's a guy who's, and, and Michael Jordan worshiped his dad, very close relationship. I mean, you'd see his dad in the locker room. You'd see the dad all the time. And at a point, probably the lowest part of his life when his dad is brutally murdered and because his dad was of a generation and my dad used to do this that would drive at night because it was cooler because in the old days, their cars didn't have air conditioning. And he pulled off the side of the road to take a little nap because he didn't want to drive off the road, didn't want to have an accident. And two guys from Robson County 
see this fancy car, rob him and shoot him behind the head. He loses his dad. He is overwhelmed before that last championship. He told Phil Jackson that I'm, I've, I've had, I'm to my limit. I can't do anymore. You know, the questions about the gambling, everything else. Magic even warned folks, said, listen, you're going to drive him out of the game. There were all these rumors about he was going to be suspended. His dad died because of his gambling, and he walked away. Uh, you see pictures of his wife, but you don't hear about that. And, and again, at that time, when they divorced, she got at what was that time the largest divorce settlement of all time. Jeff Bezos' wife has knocked that out of the water, so to speak. That record has been beat. And he's remarried, a much younger woman that he met in Miami. Uh, but the the dissolution of the marriage, no, there's not a lot in there. She's not named. You'll see her on that. But I, I think the relationship with his kids, the kids, he never really tried to, I, I guess, he, he never had to deal with that. But I think he saw enough of guys in the NBA that were the sons of famous players and what they had to go through mm -hmm. that he kind of take a step back. I mean, you know, uh, he, he, again, I don't, I don't see things through rose colored glasses. His, his marriage didn't work out. He couldn't be the father that his father was to his three children. Uh, his smoking is a, a bad uh, role model behavior, but that's what he does. Uh, he does have an addiction to gambling, not to the point that he's having to pick up bottles on the side of the road, but that competitive nature has is, is, is worked itself into that. But he is the first former athlete, American former athlete, to be a billionaire. Right, because so, he's still and, selling and those owns, shoes. I mean, he, yeah, he has his own Jordan brand. Right. Uh, the Hornets themselves, they're the only team that does not have the Nike and have the Jordan brand. Right. And uh, Michigan. Yeah. Well, athletics, Jordan brand. He Carolina, was the honorary captain, Jordan came brand. up here to be introduced to the Jordan brand for football. So he definitely is a good businessman. He's taking advantage of his opportunities. So, Ernest, we're going to wrap up with one more question for you. Is there one thing that you wish you could ask Michael Jordan, one piece of information you think is still out there or you wish you could know more about? Wow. <laughs> his, his, you know, to a large extent, his life has been an open book. And, you know, some people would ask about the marriage. And, you know, I, we're, you get to my age, you have lots of friends that go through divorce. I've had family members that go through divorce. Mm -hmm. and I just don't like to go there to that extent. Uh, I know even today, the, the comment about Republicans buy shoes also, and a little background of that story was that we had a African-American candidate, Harvey Gant, who was the mayor of Charlotte running against Jesse Helms. At that time, Jesse Helms represented a certain viewpoint in this country. And, uh, they asked Michael Jordan to do commercials endorsing it. And as a joke, he made the comment, Republicans buy shoes also. And he's been hounded by that by a lot of social leaders to this day. And I know he's owned up to it. He said, well, I was just joking. I said it on the on the bus. And that's made, I know as he's gotten older, he's a little guarded in what he's able to say. 
But I, I, I would wonder if, if he wished he had that opportunity again, would he have phrased it that way? Mm. What I'd like to ask him is something that relates to Kobe. Because when Kobe died tragically, and I watched Michael Jordan's speech at the, the memorial service, I was blown away by what Michael Jordan said about Kobe and how honest Michael was about their relationship and how he put up with, or he mostly put up with Kobe's midnight calls and, you know, pestering him for information. Um, and I really liked the idea that Michael, at, at that point in his career, was willing to at least dialogue and give Kobe some information. Uh, partly out of his love for Phil Jackson. There's no doubt about that. But um, I like that whole dynamic about little brother and that Michael was willing to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have totally blown away, you know, Kobe and says, just get away, kid. But he, he liked Kobe's determination. I think he was maybe, he liked that Kobe wanted to be like him truly. I mean, we all talked about be like Mike, you know, on the TV commercials. But Kobe could actually come closest to with a lot of people couldn't. So I like that. I wonder, I would ask Michael, you know, what has been the most influential relationships in your life besides your dad's? And I think he would say Phil Jackson's got to be one. Ooh. Dean Smith has got to yeah. be another. But besides Dean Smith and Phil Jackson, who would he think he would say, Michael? J I, I think he'd say Roy. He was very close to Roy Williams. I think he'd said Roy also. I know that he, he Doug Collins, to the extent that when he was an executive of the Wizard and when he made his comeback, he hired Doug Collins to coach the team. And I think Tex Winter, even though he was originally did not think much of the triangle, I think over a period of time he got close to Tex Winter and, and, and a lot of his knowledge and information. It's fascinating that if you see film of Kobe talking when he was in high school, and you compare that to when he was a pro, he picked up a lot of Michael Jordan's idiosyncrasies and a lot of his speech patterns. They tried to physically sound like Michael Jordan to that same extent. Mm -hmm. And again, I think he's looking now at trying to be more of a mentor role. I know he tried to do that with Kimba when he was with the Kimba Walker when he was with the Hornets. So I think he's viewing that as part of his legacy now. Of, of being a, a role model to a lot of individuals and players and, and, you know, having those conversations. It's fascinating. They've asked him about LeBron and he says, LeBron's great, but he has flaws. Every time he tries a jump shot, he goes to his left. So he's intuitively <laughs> a student of the game. I mean, that's it. You know, you had a comparison of raw physical talent and a, a, a slavish, ability to, to, to work the game and do the background and do the scouting and, and do the hard work to get competitively better. Because when he came back from first retirement, he developed a post game. And when he came back from his third retirement, he realized he couldn't shoot in. He had to become an interior shooter because he did not have the accuracy of the three-point shot that he had before. And because his body had, had changed and become a little bit heavier in the midsection he, he basically used his weight and leverage hey that's what i do every day i use my weight and leverage for my benefit now, now is this the part <laughs> where i do my truth and advertising part of this i have to confess yeah well we got three my, minutes got, left so go three for more it. minutes all the way okay uh my oldest son 
was born January 8, 1986. And because of the benevolence and the understanding of my lovely wife, <laughs> who I've been married to for the 40 best years of my life, who every day gives me a reason to get up. And she's and standing over her shoulder right now. No, she's in another room. <laughs> basically makes me go to work because she needs the money. No, uh, she allowed me to name my firstborn Jordan Dean Watts. So, and, and my children have had the ability. I've dragged them around. And again, I've seen Michael Jordan play. Uh, in his career, I watched him play every year at least once from his high school, uh, from that McDonald's All-Star game, this till he retired. And when he came back with the Wizards, I was able to see those two years. But here we go. This is how big a fan I am. Truth in advertising. Me, my son Jordan, and my brother Michael actually went and saw Michael Jordan play baseball when the Birmingham Barons were playing the Carolina Mudcats. Mm -hmm. uh, the Birmingham Barons played in the uh, Southern League, which is double-A baseball. So the Carolina team, basically because of zoning reasons, they play on a tobacco farm 40 miles from Raleigh in the middle of nowhere. So on a Sunday night, we all dragged out there for a meaningless double-A baseball game, watched Michael Jordan strike out three times. He did hit one long drive to the fence. But uh, just, just it was interesting to see, of no respect. But it's, it's, again, he, he changed the shoe contracts, the advertisement, the spokesman, uh, the winding up owning a team, uh, to the extent that only him and Muhammad Ali were so famous as an athlete that you could go anywhere in the height of their height of their playing careers. You could go anywhere in this world and say Jordan, and they knew who you talked. Same like if you said Muhammad Ali, they knew who you were. They were citizens of the world, not just American athletes. Mm -hmm. A good question for our podcast, me, and you have to think about this question. So think about it for a second: Who's done more with their talent, Brady or Jordan? You have to think about that, right? So, because Jordan has accomplished everything. And he's hugely talented. But would you argue that Brady has done more with his talent because he had less to begin with? Both of them maximize. I think people tend to think that Brady, I think Brady had talent. I mean, he's maximized it. Both of them maximized it. And physical talent, Michael Jordan had more. Basketball is a more strenuous sport. But I think, you know, for some reason, and I think it goes back to the draft pick and a lot of because he was not dominant at Michigan, I think people underrate Brady's abilities. I mean, he obviously, I mean, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. He obviously can throw. He obviously knows how to break down a, a defense. I mean, it's not like and he, never he berates his teammates team. too, just like Jordan does. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I think, I think a lot of people underrate Brady's talent because of the drafting and because of his college career. Yeah, and his coach. And there you go. A, a great podcast about Michael Jordan. We'll see what the rest of his life holds. I think this is really an awesome point of his life where he can reflect, he can make his case, clear the record. And I, I think he's got a lot of good years left. I think he has a little girl now with a second marriage, and it's going to see how that turns out and enjoy that little girl. So, Ernest, thanks for talking with me. And, hey, listen and watch The Last Dance. I think we have one 
show left or two? Two more. Two more, two two more, more episodes. episodes. So for Ernest Watts, this is Paul Arnold. Have a good night. <laughs>